Hello everybody, um, welcome to Background Noise. My name is Edgar Rodriguez and I hope to be a whispering voice where you're actually doing important things. In today's topic, I I think I'm going to do like a collage, a potpourri of topics. Is something called I, th I think i'm going to make this like a series or like a format very sad uh it's what i learned today so maybe not today today <laughs> but uh I'm, i think that writing at the end of the day or at the beginning of a day what i learned today or the day before and yesterday i i wrote some things and I was like, you know what? I think I think I should make this whole series, like a whole format. And constantly just me the talking about the things that I've learned um, as a form of coming up with content. Because as I work more than full-time in software, um, I can't believe how extremely hard it is to come up with content ideas for this podcast for twitter for instagram it's very hard <laughs> um so yeah this uh format what i'm going to do hope to <clears throat> evolve it but today i'm just going to read one of my uh notes on what did i learn today okay so what did I learn today? I'm going to start with um, Firebase works perfectly with pure script or the other way around, I guess that's also valid. Um, so the project that I mentioned the last episode, um, I think reading, uh, writing uh, pure script and in both in the front end and the back end and the back end is just google cloud functions or well firebase functions and i was a bit scared that handling firebase was going to be an extreme challenge um with pure script but um so far so good like it has been pretty straightforward to um, import functions to declare foreign functions for the Firebase library, because sadly there is no Firebase library out there. I mean, there is like one, but it's like very old. And, uh, and it's for um, the real-time database of Firebase and not for, for 2021 Firebase. So, so I've been importing these functions and they've been working fine. They've been working super well. Uh, maybe my signatures are too ad hoc. They're not quite general. I wish I could publish them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have the objective of publish that library because it's like a very generic wrapper for, I mean, not generic. <laughs> As I said, it's very ad hoc at the moment, but it's like um, a very basic wrapper around the library. So I think it could help somebody else. And I could also uh, have the community help me to build a better uh, pure script uh, wrapper around Firebase. And when I mean Firebase, I mean 
uh, Node.js Firebase, like Firebase admin and Firebase functions. Uh, yeah, I had to wrap a lot of functions, and some functions were uh, a, bit, uh, a bit scary to wrap, but at the end, it was actually like pretty straightforward. Uh, so yeah, I could deploy to Firebase functions, and they've been working super fine, super nicely with PureScript. Um, so, another frontier crossed for PureScript. Um, I'm, I'm very happy that I can be able to write PureScript on this server. That's super amazing. I know that's a huge thing for people who love languages like Elm, and they're not able to use Elm in the backend. And that's been like a huge request, but it's not the objective of Elm, so it's probably never gonna happen. So I'm happy PureScript is that. Um, another point is AFJAX get requests. So AFJAX is, <laughs> I don't know if I'm pronouncing this well, but it's, um, it's a library for PureScript. It's a wordplay uh, between AJAX, um, the uh, non-blocking web requests and uh, on the browser technique and asynchronous effect, a concept in PureScript. So asynchronous effect can be easily understood in PureScript. I, I think it's fair to make um, that analogous. It's like a more fancy control over promises. I like a more safer control over promises and a better type promise. Uh, so I explained in the previous episode, promises um, are not fully, uh, to my eyes, they're not fully typed. They're just type the right side, but not the left side. So I made a AFJAX get request to interact with an API. And what we actually with Riot API, Riot the gay, the, uh, gay company behind League of Legends. Um, because this is what my app is about. And that app, uh, that request was, was uh, I don't know how to say this, it was pretty straightforward. I was actually thinking that I was going to use uh, a wrapper around Axios or any other library in JavaScript like Fetch or something. But it seems the PureScript community have made this wrapper around XHR2. Um, there is like a, that the underlying um, requests, uh, like bare bones. So, so they, they build their own fetch slash axios. PureScript have their own community for it. I decided to try because it's like the number one library that I found, if not the only one that I found. Um, and it was super simple to get. Like it was super simple to actually make the, um, an asynchronous call, unhandedly asynchronous call. Um, I thought that it, that it was going to be a little bit more involved. Um, but it's just making a call to this uh, get request and the parameters that you have to pass 
are something called like is like a merge of two objects, the default parameters and another parameter with and another object, well, record in PureScript with your actual values like uh, this URL, this method, etc. etc. Uh, it worked pretty pretty good. The errors were on point. At first I had a bunch of errors. Uh, until I got my, my URL right, uh, all of the errors were mapped correctly. So that's that's very nice that they have their own take on, like, they have a better native, um, I don't know if native is the word, they have a more idiomatic and type safe version of access. This is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, so great for the PureScript ecosystem to have that one figure out. Another point is the API of Riot Games is super nice to use and simple in comparison to Facebook's. Uh, last year, or at the beginning, the beginning of this year and last year, I was trying to make some apps on top of Instagram's API. Instagram's API is today is fully merged with Facebook, was not fully, fully merged. Is almost fully merged in the sense they have their own API uh, from before Facebook, but the requests for the API are closed. Only like legacy systems still use it. And Facebook provides new graph, a, a new graph API for uh, Instagram. But the API, I have so many issues. Like they really, I was really rethinking. Maybe I should not do ever anything on top of the API of any third party. But that seems so unhacky, like so on indie hacker. <laughs> I've seen so many people like leveraging third party APIs. So I persisted until I, until uh, even before finishing the app, like Facebook changed a bunch the API or like block things uh, the, there. Uh, requests are very strange and uh, in general it, it, it's not I mean it, it seems the RPI is like very discouraging you for from mining data and um, and basically like do stuff unless you're a partner uh, if you're like a Facebook partner marketing partner it seems the API opens up a bunch of, of uh, functionalities because I the only apps I've seen that are huge, like they, they, are, they actually seem to have a pretty impressive integration with Facebook, are uh, partner APIs. So I guess behind the partner flag, there's a bunch of other nicer APIs with better rate limits and stuff like that. Um, I was using, for example, an API for hashtags and the API is like, you can search, um, I think it was like 27, I think, or something like that, hashtags per week, I think, per week. And you can only search a new hashtag, like each week. So each hashtag, hashtag information, I mean, you, once you search a hashtag, you can keep requesting information about that hashtag, like new posts about that hashtag, um, the size, the trending posts on the hashtag, etc. 
and it brings fresh information constantly. But it has like a counter on how many hashtags you can watch. I mean, it's only like a watch mode, I guess, or pulling mode, I suppose. And, and, it, uh, and you cannot search for 40 hashtags. Like you, can, you cannot go for 28 hashtags uh, because it would say you're already limits. Uh, you have to wait a week to search for that new hashtag. And now that counts toward your 27 hashtag. I don't remember right now if it is 27 or 30 because the limit of on post is 30 hashtags. But I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that it was 27, but, but let's say, and, or, or, or was it even less? Was it like seven hashtags or something? I don't remember, but it was a very small number of hashtags per week. So it gave me this idea that um, all third-party APIs were this difficult, I mean, or big company APIs, because I've used um, other small APIs that are very nice to use. But yeah, um, contrary to the Riot's game API, is it's very nice to use. Their platform enrollment was like instant. Um, they provide a bunch of information about the summoner, the game matches, uh, tournaments, the other games they have, like Valorant and uh, Teamfight Tactics and other games they have. Uh, I found it really complete and I'm pretty straightforward to use. So, um, I thought, I, <laughs> I've always, uh, I have years playing League of Legends and I thought, the, and as a League of Legends player, it's very common to use these, um, to use web applications that have um, information about the current match that you're having or what's a good um, way to play the game if you're using a certain character or some statistics of your own, of your friends, of or everybody in general, but I usually just uh, search myself on friends or enemies. Um, and I see statistics like, what's your win rate? How many games have you won versus lost? Um, how have you been winning lately? Well, who was the most valuable player in a match? Which is something that we often do with friends, like, okay, who was the most valuable player? And he's like, oh, I did the most work. And then you say like, no, this page says that uh, somebody else was the most valuable player. And then we start like discussing. <laughs> so I, I, I don't know what I, 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 I guessed there has always been some way to fetch that data from Riot, but, I've, but I never consciously like was sure that Riot had a public API that anybody could access and fetch that data from. And they do, and it's very amicable. And they also have another, I mean, I think they have several others, but they have another one that is to get uh, assets like values uh, for players, values for items in the game, like how much they cost, how they evolve, how they're constructed, 
uh, how much they are sell for uh, the values for the players in the sense that the players uh, how much uh, experience to level up how much they uh, how much damage they do per level um, how much their abilities that much do per level that's it. so uh, that's that's pretty cool and also assets uh, uh, as graphical assets like images like all the images from players um, images that are general in the game the images of items images of characters on the game so and it's also very amicable and accessible so much so that you can actually like download the whole thing you can download a mini database that is actually just a bunch of files um, and you can fetch locally that data uh, right uh, with every new patch they update uh, their own database so i mean their own server that provides provides that database um, you can just go ahead and re-download that one for the new patch the um, uh, that database is like a, I mean that folder I guess <laughs> it is about one one gigabyte I think and it's supposed to have historical data as well and being Riot Games about uh, eleven years old but it's going to it's going to be twelve years old soon uh, I. I <laughs> That's impressive. I thought they had, uh, I thought it was a much bigger database for assets. Uh, well, I guess maybe some images, some old images are provided because you don't know which player may have them. So you have to display it on your app, but probably it's just going to display current character values and current item values. Probably. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's fair, but I'm not sure. I will have to check out. But anyways, I discovered that Riot is very funny, with very friendly with their data and with their integration. I also tweeted some stuff, uh, like for single sign-on, because I wish I could uh, verify a account in my application. Yeah, below, I mean, is the actual owner of uh, Riot, Ring, Riot Games account. Uh, but it seems that they do not have a, an easy way to make that verification. So I thought, well, maybe I can um, ask players to add me as a friend. And then I will just go ahead and uh, ask them something through the in-game app chat. And that's how I run the verification. But the other... Um, way will be having a nice sign uh, single sign on or redirection or authorization or something uh, right they do have it it's just that it's not like accessible or requestable um, you have to have an app um, and well they, they answer in Twitter actually that they will provide it if if they believe your app can make use of it um, I think they're very focused on tournaments, um, but I guess if another app requires it, maybe they will, maybe they will do it. So 
and they answer super quickly on Twitter. So shout out to that Riot developer support team. <laughs> that was very nice. Um, I also learned about uh, unsafe perform effect. So in PureScript, all functions or functionality is lazy. Uh, it's not lazy, sorry. It's not lazy at all. But all side effects are lazy. Um, in regular JavaScript, when you call something, it's called immediately. If you sum two functions, do you sum it immediately? In Haskell, it's not the case. Like, they tend to be as lazy as possible. Mm, they're not very eager in that sense. But then PureScript um, is, like, trying to match the environment JavaScript, um, simplify a little bit that Haskell thing to learn laziness. So they are also very eager in functions that, that are pure. Um, well, all functions are pure, I guess. In functions that are not side effecty. But functions that have side effects, like um, calling an asynchronous HTTP call or um, updating a reference or uh, logging to the console, they are wrapped in these structures that are effects and asynchronous effects. So, I mean, I think it's very obvious that one performs effects um, synchronously and the other performs asynchronous effects. So one maps one-to-one to, one to promises, like it's a fancy wrapper around promises with the asynchronous effect. And then you have the effect, with it, which is just um, to wrap every function that you're going to call uh, with another function that is like empty. So you, you just have to, so you can use the effect and make a bunch of transformation to effects without executing them. Actually, so I saw that my in all the examples that I saw, people wrote PureScript and then they call PureScript from JavaScript in their main application, their main file, and then they run the PureScript uh, import from JavaScript. So their their whole um, PureScript was pure and side effect free, or like in the sense that it's not side effect free, but in the sense that they're never calling anything in their pure script um, script. However, in my Node.js application, I didn't want to do the same wrap. I, I think that I think that's fair to actually call a function um, inside the pure script. Uh, file, but I was really unsure how to do so. I've never saw any example for it. Uh, the book, I think, didn't mention that. It mentioned some like functions, but I, I think that it didn't mention safe perform effect. So the function that I wanted to run was the create app or initialize application for the Firebase environment that you have to initialize the applications like in the root of your file uh, that is exporting Firebase. So you have an initialized Firebase application that you can use. And 
if I didn't want to also have any JavaScript file that run my um, pure script program, and you just wanted to write 100% pure script, I had to call that function uh, somewhere. <laughs> I have to call my function somewhere. And in Firebase, you, you return, you export uh, variables that are a call to a wrapper function. That is the Firebase wrapper for the Google Cloud function that returns a function. So it's a bunch of, you explore a bunch of variables that are actually functions. But at the top of those, you have to initialize uh, Firebase. Um, and I couldn't because I couldn't perform any functions. The initialization of Firebase was an effect, which is a function that returns a function that returns the Firebase.initialize app. So what I, I had to do is call that effect in the main PureScript file. And I spent a while trying to actually do so, to try to actually uh, call the effect. Uh, it was very hard. And I couldn't put that effect anywhere else like, because it has to be called only once at the root of the file. I cannot put that effect like inside the functions because then it will say like, uh, you already have a fire function, do not initialize twice, etc." <laughs> so, and I didn't want it to make like a hack thing. Like if it's not initialized, then initialize. It's not, you know, like that singleton pattern. So what I ended up doing was going to pursue, which is the web page that has the documentation of a lot of pure script libraries and the search, um, the search input takes words like keywords that you will do any Google search, but it also takes uh, functional signatures. So what I did was uh, search in pursuit um, if uh, which function gets me from effect of A to A, like unwraps the effect or calls the effect. And voila, I found unsafe perform effect and I use it. And I have a warning in my code that is like, <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's very annoying. I, I hate warnings. I like to write code without warnings. Like it's always like a small tick. And, and it says something like, uh, you're performing an effect. <laughs> um, I don't recall right now how the warning is called. Um, but I wish to remove it because it's like, it is meant to perform that effect in that file as soon as you read it. Uh, or at least when you compile it, I want that effect to be run there. And it works perfectly. It compiles to actually the function that returns a function that returns the app.initialize and it calls that function. So it actually initializes the app at the beginning of the file. So that's how unsafe perform effect works, calls effects. And what is called unsafe perform effect? Well, the perform effect, we know it. It calls a function that actually is an effect. Uh, that's all the, that's all the effect. Yeah, that's all that's it, sorry. And the unsafe part is because um, it's telling you, you don't know what's going to happen once you call this function. Like you're calling something and there is um, no way 
for you to, I guess, control that. Um, so I really hope you know what you're doing. <laughs> that's what the unsafe is for. Which is funny because that's like 99.99999% of JavaScript is like that. It's that way you're constantly performing effects without really caring what happens to them. I mean, you care what a subset of the effects does when it goes right, but you don't really think much. We don't really think much. What happens if it goes wrong? We're not try catching every single effect that we do in JavaScript. So uh, this is what the unsafe is there for. Uh, that's a warning. I wish I could somehow do something like, like with TypeScript. You can annotate a comment that says like TypeScript ignore or with Aslin like ignore the next line. But I think that the um, the pure script doesn't have anything like that. I guess. So I, I kind of tried to Google it and found nothing, but maybe I'm wrong. Okay, so the next thing is um, more understanding about Firebase functions with Express. Specifically, how logging can be a middleware, which is obvious, yet I've always verified the token inside each root. Okay, this is cool because I'm, uh, I've used Firebase for years and uh, Every time that I start a new project, I go again and read the Firebase um, getting started guy and read everything again. Uh, first, because Firebase constantly is evolving. Um, and second, because my memory is very fragile. So <laughs> I, I have to get reminded of things uh, constantly. So this time when I went back to the Node.js Firebase, Firebase functions, and I looked for the authentication, authentication examples to see how everything was. Um, okay, so I, I, I saw a snippet that, and uh, I saw the, the classic snippets. And when I click on them, they, they redirect to a GitHub page or to a GIST, and they have like a huge project which with uh, how to use the snippet and the server. There was one snippet for the authentication, and I don't know why, but I've never like clicked that link or ignored it, or I, at least I don't remember clicking it before and seeing those examples. And there was one example that used the Firebase authentication as uh, instead of putting just a simple function and try to authenticate the app inside the function, try to authenticate the request inside the Firebase function. What they did was make an Express app, export the Express app, and authenticate in a middleware, as you will do with any Express app. And I, <laughs> that was so obvious, but I've, wrote, I've, I've written so many authentications inside uh, functions. I mean, it's insane. I'm all the time. I think this is the first time that I am actually authenticating in a middleware, I think. Uh, I think I, I before I've made that authentication in a middleware, but it was like, I'm going to write this uh, express app to handle uh, the complexity of routes and parameters in routes, etc. Um, but I never thought on writing that like, at the beginning of a project. Um, I always went with the Express app 
exported as a Firebase function after a while. So uh, I, I kind of put into perspective the the way that I thought about uh, Firebase functions and how it's just a wrapper inside a wrapper inside a wrapper because it's like Firebase is wrapping Google Cloud functions, which in turn are wrapping uh, Express. Um, Firebase functions also export another wrapper. There is not because the Firebase function export a wrapper that is like a middleware. Like you take a request, a response, and the only difference is that it doesn't take a next value. That's all the change they did to the Google Cloud function wrapper, which is just like an express middleware. Um, in this other wrapper that is called call is to call Firebase functions like directly from uh, from your Firebase application in the browser. You import a function as your endpoint instead of making an HTTP request. You pass some data to that function, like if, like it is a function that lives on the like like if like if it was a promise that lived on your browser. You call it and then it responds a uh, promise. And then in the backend, you call this wrapper that is on call, and then it passes uh, a different signature that is more, uh, it's like uh, data and context, something like that, like context and authentication or something that it put to, it has two arguments. It's a function which calls a function with two arguments. And those two arguments are like, it's like, okay, this is the data that was passed to you, and this is uh, the user that made that request. And everything is like um, uh, decoded. With the, with, other, with the other two approaches, you, you have to decode things with the Firebase API. But with this approach, uh, the arguments on that function is decoded, like you live more inside the Firebase ecosystem already. However, um, the Express, I mean the um, um, yeah the express um, way to make Firebase functions or Google functions have uh, more libraries to help because Express is more widely used and more ancient. <laughs> uh, so uh, in PureScript is not the exception. There is a wonderful library for PureScript which has a bunch of methods to deal with things like to pass. Uh, information through the context for return errors or log errors or read parameters, etc., etc. But that doesn't exist for uh, Firebase, so I didn't use it. So I I actually lean from the very beginning to the let's make a Express app and and export that in Firebase. Uh, which is, as I said, is something that I all, all, almost always do like after the uh, Firebase functions forced me to, but not before. So it kind of gave me uh, a little uh, um, more depth in understanding of how Firebase also deals with Next and what happens when you return an error, when does Firebase locks an error um, when it doesn't log an error, because not because you're using Express, then it will log an error anywhere where Express will log an error to the Firebase console. So yeah, I have to deal with that uh, pretty soon.
to be able to actually use um, Express in Firebase uh, in PureScript. Another thing was uh, how to do an Express app with PureScript, <laughs> which is like pretty obvious. I have no idea how to make an Express app with PureScript. I've made uh, quite a lot of Express apps, but I've never made one in PureScript. Um, and there is thankfully a very well typed library of Express in PureScript, but it's um, um, but I've never a I've never used it, and b is very PureScripty, so it almost everything that almost every function is aside is wrapped in a side effect, uh, like for example, get parameters for the request. That's a flash, it's a side effect. In JavaScript, it just, it's just like calling a function and just try to see if the um, uh, data that you're looking for is uh, falsy or 3D or something. So uh, here in PureScript, it's a side effect that returns maybe some data that you requested at the beginning of the function. Um, the other thing that the Express app has, the Express, the PureScript Express wrapper has, is that it wraps a lot of things in a handler monad. Like it takes to heart that every function be, an, be a middleware, uh, an app, um, a post, get, put, any common, everything is a function that takes a request, a response, and a next. And it really takes it to heart. Uh, so it really links on that um, abstraction. And instead of writing a bunch of functions that do so, that do, that do take request, respond, next, and then the body of the function, the inner function, uh, it, it uses a monad or it uses, it encapsulates that in a new type called handler, and then it adds instances. So that handler is a monad on, on other things. It's also like an instance for, uh, has instances for other type classes. But I've never dealt with monads before in PureScript in that sense, and I was very puzzled on how to actually perform this, uh, how to actually use the monad, how to actually compose functions, how to call them, how to do X and Y with them. Uh, then at the end of the day, I kind of understood better the, the how monads actually compose one another, how to lift effects between them. At the beginning, I tried to write my own thing. And then I said, like, you know what I think is easier if I just wrap, wrap, write an Express app and I just export that Express app. And that way, I can just um, write everything using this PureScript Express abstraction of the handler. And so far, so good. The handler, actually, I, have, I think that has uh, every single function for Express mapped. So it's very, like, there's no edge case that is not typed in the library um, but it has other things that are very hard to handle for example a get request the 
most common thing is to get uh, parameters like or query strings. Not so hard, it's just an effect, a synchronous effect. You call it, you search for a value, if it's there or not, and then you do your logic. But for a POST request, if you're handling a POST route and you have to read the body, it actually uses a decoder for the uh, Java, uh, for the JSON object, that is, or the different kinds of uh, body types. Uh, 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 application content. And um, um, for example, for the JSON one, tries to decode automatically the, the values. And then the result is, did I, was I able to decode the value or wasn't I able to decode the value? And it also returns a, uh, returns a Mona transformer, which is not of the same form as the, well, actually, no, it's the same for it. It returns a handler that, that is inside the value is also a mono transformer with an exception T, which is like an exception. In the left, you have an exception of decoding or parsing the, the request body to the object that you wanted to be parsed. And on the right, you have the object that you were actually waiting for. So it's either perfect or it's an error. And it's using a very good pattern that is using like an exception, um, but it's actually an exception transformer on an identity and a value and another uh, type, which is your return type. And the thing is, there is no, um, there is no instance for the exception T transformer for the handler. So I could not just like bind the values and then perform a left right power matching. And I spent, I think about four hours or a, a little bit more uh, knowing how to get the values from the except T, get the left and the right because it's wrapped on the accepting. Whew, that was very hard for me because you have to run the monad inside the monad. Um, pretty intense, pretty intense. Uh, for me, which I'm a noob, it's just one function. You just said, hey, get the body of this request and I hope the value is of type X and then it returns a handler. You bind the handler into a variable and then you room exception, a function called run exception, and then you pass the value that, that, that you bind before, and then it returns the value as a left on right or right. That's just it. But I was so obsessed with the signature of except, except T, which is the signature of the exception transformer, on how to run it, because I, I saw some transformers in the book. I saw that every transformer in the book, you have to run it every monad. The monads, you run them. So you, you, you like unsafe, like unsafe perform effect is the same thing. You you say unsafe, unsafe perform. <laughs> My English is trash today. I'm so sorry. You use unsafe perform effect. You pass an effect and the effect is run. 
with monads. You do uns, uh, you do run monad of the type of monad, of course. Each monad has its own run function, and <laughs> and you run the monad. You actually tell the monad, okay, start, because you you declare them, but, but they don't run by itself. Like when you declare a promise and you call the promise, you, the the promise is it just runs right away. It's not the case for asynchronous effects or monads in a uh, pure script. You have to actually explicitly tell them to run. The handler, the, the monad on the express library, has a bunch of bindings with other monads that are very helpful, which, which runs those monads like automatically or binds them. It doesn't run them, but binds them. But now with exception T. So uh, I didn't know what to do, so uh, I tried to, to, to see what was the answer in PureScript. I failed miserably. Then I went to try to see how the example was for Haskell. And Haskell has this, uh, and also the book. The book also has exception T, so it says, like, try to run. And I, I think it doesn't have exception T, but it has other monotransformer. A monotransformer is a monad inside a monad. So um, I tell them run exception t, then I see what monad it brings back. In the case this exception t brought um, identity, which is a monad without properties. And I tell them run in uh, run identity. So I run the exception t monad, it returns the identity monad, I run the identity monad, and then it returns the left and the right values of the body. It doesn't exist a run identity. <laughs> it just doesn't exist like in Haskell. So I, I after reading a lot I saw that answer and I was like okay I'm going to try to do that in pure script. I didn't spend so much time trying to find the run identity like somewhere. I used pursue, I tried to read into libraries, I couldn't find anywhere where the run identity was. And then I saw some answer in, in Stack Overflow of somebody which was very thorough in its explanation of uh, the exception T monad. And it had an um, example with exception T of identity. So it explained that you have to run exception T, run identity, but the use case was so common that you can, uh, you can use another function that is also provided by, by Haskell that is just run exception, which is to say that the exception monad is actually built in its own transformer, exception T. So it pro it's built, okay, so you have monads and monad transformers, and the monad transformers is like a more general use case for your monad that allows you to to uh, squash monads together, I guess. And each monad can have like a monad transformer to play well with other monads. And the actual monad that I'm inter interested with, and I guess everybody's interested in, is the exception monad, not the, ex not the exception T, like the transformer, especially for this case. But as I saw the signature saying exception T, I was obsessed with the monad transformer but it's actually just an exception monad because 
it, it is actually it's not like implemented twice like in the monad and the monad transformer but the monad it is implemented in its own transformer so it provides its own room exception as it was running the exception monad which is actually running the exception t identity monad i know this is i'm so sorry this is so much gibberish um but i hope somebody uh, enlightened me further in this sense, like on how to explain this without being so much gibberish. Um, but ultimately, uh, run identity doesn't exist in pure script. It's actually just run exception on wrap, which I have no idea where on wrap is. But I said, you know, that's like my limit on uh, on learning new things. So I'm just going to ignore that on wrap. I'm going to continue. And I was happy with how to parse, uh, how to read the body uh, in pure script. But it wasn't so simple as in JavaScript at all. In JavaScript, you request the body and you, and you try to access the values. And when I say you try to access, what I'm trying to say is that you then write just go ahead and access them. And if they don't exist, then you blow up. <laughs> Um, some more thorough applications will have um, uh, body validations just to say, hey, your body missed um, a property. So it's malformed. But most quick apps don't do that. For example, on Express. Other uh, batteries included platforms do, and some platforms that, don't, that always have to parse JavaScript like obviously bring that in. Uh, so uh, you can find that in Django or in Ruby on Rails. Um, you can find that if you have um, GraphQL, for example, because you're typing the values of the body. Uh, so uh, any anywhere that you have to actually uh, parse the JSON is, uh, is I, I think, a no-brainer to put uh, an error of a malformed body. But in the case of JavaScript, where JSON is a first-class citizen, uh, we just ignore that. And it's often common to not uh, verify the body because you can just access it. Uh, if not, if a value is not there, then you can pivot and do something else. Um, but in the case of pure script, you do have to parse the body. So it looks more like other languages than JavaScript. Um, parsing the body is a side effect. It's not a side effect, but reading the body is a side effect. And then parsing the body is expressed in this pure script library as a side effect. Is an effect that can fail uh, with a bunch of exceptions um, or can succeed with a body that is an exact match for the data structure that you requested. Pretty interesting, pretty interesting. Um, so, <laughs> uh, that's not half, that's not just, that's like half the list, I think at this point. But this podcast has been long. I'm really gibberishy. So, I, I'm just going to read again all the things that I that I read, just point to point, just to make a um, recapitulate. So Firebase worked perfectly with PureScript, 
I also learn about FJAX get requests, how to deal with them. Uh, the API for Riot Games is super nice to use, uh, much simpler in comparison to Facebook's. Um, we learn what unsafe perform effect is. Uh, we have more understanding about Firebase functions uh, and their work on runs with Express and that we can log in the middleware, which is something obvious, but it's something that we might miss if we are writing uh, straight up uh, Firebase functions. Uh, and how to do an Express app with peer scripts. Now that I'm seeing this, it's less than half of the list of what I learned yesterday, but I think that I extend myself a lot on these ones. So I'm going to continue in another episode. And I think that, uh, I think this, well, yeah, this was a very good exercise. It's a very good exercise, right? Uh, I encourage you to write what you learned yesterday uh, constantly because there's some junior out there doesn't know it. Maybe this format is not like the perfect sample, but you can write a, a blog post of what you learned yesterday, uh, not necessarily in this format, but just like each dot, each item on your list can be a blog post, a very short blog post of what you learned yesterday, um, probably is going to help somebody else. Especially if you spend a bunch of time uh, trying to learn that. In my case, with the peer script uh, get body, I think that I need to write something because I spent more than four hours with that. Another thing that I learned yesterday also took me a long time, which was about CSS. And, and yeah, I also think that it's worth a blog post because the thing, uh, if anything takes you four hours to solve, you probably deserve a blog post. Probably you can save those four hours to somebody else. Um, so I encourage you to do so. Uh, if you do so and you want to send them to me so I can read them and publish them, uh, you can find me at Coding Edgar in Instagram. You can find me at Coding Edgar in Twitter. Uh, you can go to codingedgar.com and then find me everywhere else. And I hope that you find, found today's podcast. Um, you didn't hate today's podcast <laughs> because uh, I always criticized people who refuse to talk about monads because, because people, people get confused. Uh, but now that I talk about them, I can feel how confusing it is. I can barely understand any word that I just said. Uh, but uh, if you change the word monad by just object, and then you say, it's an object wrapped in an object, and it's an object that returns an object, or, or a function that returns a function, it's a, something like that. Like, it's a wrapper. That's, uh, that's it. That's all you need to know. It's a wrapper, and sometimes a monad transformer is a wrapper that returns a wrapper. That's the, the easiest way to, to understand that, or, or I think, a, a, fairly basic um, analogy. Um, so the actual word is just nothing, it has nothing mysterious in it. It's just, a, it's a word that is not so popular in other 
um, places like in other coding, I don't know, groups, I guess. Um, but it seems that it's hard to understand and the community, I, I've never knew that monads were hard. I only have the perception they're hard because everybody said so. And I think they are different, but I think they are no harder to understand that uh, than other concepts that are used every day in uh, object-oriented programming. Like some patterns in object-oriented programming, they're so weird, hard to understand, hard to follow, incredibly difficult to debug. Um, and they are used like, you know, day-to-day -day lingo. And, and I guess people have seen other people get extremely frustrated frustrated academically with monads. So they are always saying that monads are hard in every medium they come. I have no experience academically with monads. I've only know about monads by reading the book of PureScript and by dealing with the Express API. And four hours to resolve an issue for something that I've never seen and deal with I think that's a fairly good time. I spend days and weeks trying to solve simpler things, like uh, simpler in the terms of simpler as people will think there are simple solves. And with this mona that is supposed to be hard, like everybody's afraid of it, it was just, you know, like doing the right read and that's it. Like, and uh, actually it was, <laughs> about simplifying and doing the first thing that I have, should have done first instead of going berserker and, and try to understand one transformers. I had to ignore the one transformer all along to just run the exception. Um, so the thing is, it's not hard. I mean, it may be hard for somebody as everything. It may be hard for a group of people. Someone that's maybe really hard to understand. Uh, someone that's maybe just be complex, I guess. I suppose, but for the very, very, very few monads that I've dealt right now, which are like three or four, they are very straightforward, very understandable, very readable. Um, and uh, I debug, quote unquote, one. And you know, it's nothing to fear. If you just think it's a wrapper and that each one is just a wrapper, like any other data structure, like an array is a wrapper for values. Um, but this is like a rubber for functions, <laughs> which brings um, nice uh, properties to combine functions. That's all it does. Um, then you're like, okay. Uh, uh, another way to see that uh, Mona that I found very interesting while writing the Express app using the 100 Mona provided by the Express app is that it's like a mini environment. It's like a mini environment context. So instead of having to put and provide the request and response to every function that requires request and response, for example, the get body function, you don't need to pass the body because it exists in the in the handler context. So it, it is inside the monad. So it just read the variables from its environment without being a reader monad. Yeah. Okay, that's even more confused. But without reading anything, as that money is just a wrapper through a function, uh, it can unwraps that function and just read the values, and you don't have to pass values constantly. 
So it actually makes the code really clean. Uh, pretty, pretty clean. You're not passing, you're not dealing, I'm not dealing at all with a request and response uh, objects. I'm just dealing inside a monad with functions that do deal with them, but I don't. I just deal with the effects of reading or writing them. So I deal with send JSON or get body, but I don't pass the request or the response at all. That's completely abstract. So they can also be perceived as small environments. It's like you create a small uh, domain language. So that library, PureScript Express library, is just like a DSL, like a domain language, like a very small domain language for Express. Um, you don't pass around a bunch of uh, values that are well understood in Express, but you extract them away and, and write a bunch of functions that deal with them, and then you just use those functions as first-class citizens. Uh, so yeah, monads are not, I don't want to say they're simple or they are not hard. What I'm going to say is I can read them and mm use them without having a PhD <laughs> or even a master's degree or even having read any book on category theory or monads or anything at all. That's what I'm trying to say. Like it is just a tool as any other tool. I will say Webpack, it is, that's difficult. Webpack is difficult. NPM is difficult, like package management, that's complex. Those are very complex tools. Configuring a Webpack environment, well, that's way more complex than just reading a monad. But this is what I'm trying to say. You constantly are dealing day to day with uh, things that are actually truly complex <laughs> to use, and yet you use them. You just use them, like you don't have to design them or coming up with the right abstraction to, to do so. Yeah, but using things and understanding a particular use or of something is way easier than deeply understanding a concept. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, monads are not different to that. They are completely not different to that. You can try to see how to read them, try to perceive how they're how, how uh, some functionalities they have. Um, and, and use them and, and you're good to go like any other tool that's what i'm trying to say like any other tool maybe maybe for more academic people that are making very more complex things um, they are a vast subject but for uh engineer standpoint from an engineer standpoint it's just a it's just a new wrapper <laughs> it's just a new data structure that's how it looks like it looks like just a new data structure, that's it, which has some very nice properties to it, and that's it. Um, I guess there are some monads that are not like that, um, but the ones that I found are didact. So uh, I'm happy to to not be frustrated by the monads on PureScript, because in the F-sharp um, world, on any other world, 
uh, when the people say, hey, we should name this monad. No, don't name them monad because that's very hard. People are going to be discouraged from them. And I was, I'm like, I don't know why. Why will them? Like, it's such a traumatic experience in college that people is going to get uh, away from them. People use Webpack every day and it's fucking hard. It's truly complex from day one. <laughs> and you know this is this is the math part this is like the irony of things so they don't provide him on it they don't provide him on it so the language now is under power somehow and uh, people who wants to use them they don't have access to it and people who don't know them don't fear them but I don't know I don't know. It's it's uh, I'm uh, I'm rumbling now. <laughs> I'm rumbling too much. The point is one step at a time, and if you do one step at a time, I believe that you probably can understand pretty much anything. And uh, whatever you don't fully understand, you can just then use in just one setting, and you probably understand that one. Like something in one setting it's understandable maybe not the whole thing but in this particular case i know how to use how to use x and once you have that realization you can notice that you do that all the time with a bunch of things you do that with your taxes <laughs> you do that with paying things uh with politics with so many things with so many um parts and things in your life not only in programming, you just understand things in one setting and that's enough to let you live your full life happily. <laughs> uh, so I'm not going to disrespect the complexity of monads, but I can say without any doubt that understanding them in one setting is just as understanding anything in one setting is way simpler. So no fear from my side on those moments. And I hope that you give them a try. <laughs> and it's way easier to take pure script to a write and try to write an express app and then deal with the moments. And now understanding them in a practical sense than reading about them. Because I, ah, when you try to read them about them, they are written in a very formal way, which is very nice. But that can be uh, harder to visualize, is what I'm saying. can be harder to visualize. But if you take something that you know, and then you see how somebody else abstracted that in a monad and used them, then you you can come to the conclusions faster because you already know how get body works you already know how expresses work you know you, you already know how some of the stuff works so they made the monads easier in the case of the um, pure script uh, browser side where you want to for example i i thought about using any um, some pure script ui library uh, for example, there's one very popular one or the most prominent one that is called Halogen. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that one well. That is somehow like a more 
pure script savvy version of React. And then you have other wrappers around React and other wrappers around other libraries. And I decided not to use Halogen because I have no idea how Halogen works. So I will have to learn Halogen and then I will have to learn the abstractions over Halogen in pure script. But with React, I already know React. So every time that I'm trying to do something, I try to do it as I do in React. And then I try to dance around the React monads <laughs> because it's also expressed in monads and it's also expressed in do notation and hoops are monads as well. So I just try to dance around the monads. I understand them in the concept of React, which I already really well, I have a really well under, understanding. So the only thing that I have to learn is the monad and not React or not Express. Um, so that can also be useful. That's what I'm saying. Maybe take the language for a ride and use, use it in a setting where the monads are in a library that you already know. So you just have to learn that part and you don't have to learn the monad by itself. Like many, like I think the books and, and papers and, and, and things like reading about monads and exercises about monads are with the monads itself, like just the monad. And um, maybe that's harder because it's a new concept. But if you're just adding one step to the to a ladder that you already know, um, it's easier to understand them, I guess. I guess uh, this is what I'm trying to say. So, as usual, this is my 45-7 time saying goodbye. I tried to leave it with the first goodbye, but I couldn't, so sorry about it. I hope that you enjoyed me, my <laughs> enjoyed my rumbling about stuff that I learned yesterday. As I said before, please share what you learn in Twitter or Instagram or, or I don't know, in a blog post to help somebody. And we'll chat in the next podcast. Goodbye and have a nice day.